Good morning. It's Thursday, the 16th of November in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, she says China won't fight a hot war with the US after face-to-face talks with President Biden. Israel says it found a Hamas command centre under Gaza's largest hospital as the UN condemns the raid. Plus, sexism in the city. Firms across the square mile acknowledge an awful culture. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. President Xi Jinping says China wants to be friends with the US and won't fight a war with anyone after face-to-face talks with President Biden. Speaking after the meeting, the Chinese leader said he wants peaceful ties between Beijing and Washington. Whatever stage of development it may reach, China will never pursue hegemony or expansion and will never impose its will on others. China does not seek spheres of influence and will not fight a cold war or a hot war with anyone. Xi Jinping speaking through a translator there. The leaders of the world's two largest economies hadn't spoken for a year and agreed a deal to restore high-level communications. However, Joe Biden ended his press conference by repeating remarks that had sparked criticism from China earlier this year. Well, look, he is. I mean, he's a dictator in the sense that he, he is a guy who runs a country that is a communist country that based on a former government totally different than ours. That's President Joe Biden. The meeting between Biden and Xi at the Apex Summit in California was the culmination of intense diplomatic efforts to bridge the fractured relationship. Now, the Israeli military says that it has found a Hamas command centre, weapons and technological assets at the Shifa hospital in Gaza City. Middle Eastern countries, including Jordan and Turkey, have condemned the raid. Meanwhile, the UN Undersecretary General for Humanitarian Affairs, Martin Griffiths, says that he was appalled by the Israeli operation. But Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says he makes no apologies for sending troops in. We were told that we would not reach the outskirts of Gaza City. We arrived. We were told that we won't enter Shifa. We entered. And in this spirit, we say a simple thing. There is no place in Gaza that we will not reach. The words of Netanyahu there spoken by a translator. The comments come as Hamas reportedly agreed to free 50 women and children held hostage in Gaza in exchange for a pause in fighting and the release of some women and children held in Israeli prisons. The Washington Post says that Israel has yet to decide whether it supports the deal. Here in the UK, the Labour Party leader Keir Starmer faces the greatest challenge to his authority to date, despite being the front-runner to form the next government. Eight of the opposition leader's top team have quit after voting to call for a ceasefire in Gaza. Shadow Minister for Exports, Afzal Khan, is among them. We need a full and immediate ceasefire now. My constituents have demanded this and I will not refuse them. Sporting a ceasefire is the very least we can do. Khan now joins the backbenches where more than a quarter of Labour MPs voted for a ceasefire. Starmer expressed his regret at the resignations after the vote, but said, quote, leadership is about doing the right thing. Meanwhile, Rishi Sunak is promising emergency legislation and a new treaty with Rwanda to ensure his asylum policy is not blocked again. The Supreme Court unanimously ruled it unlawful, shredding the Prime Minister's flagship plan to try to stop small boats bringing migrants to Britain. Facing a potential right-wing rebellion, Sunak is doubling down. We will get the job done, and that involves the new treaty and new domestic legislation, and that will clear the remaining barriers to us getting flights off as planned in the spring of next year. 
Despite the Prime Minister's bold language, some of his own officials have told Bloomberg that they don't believe his new approach will succeed. Some Conservative MPs on the right of the party say Sunak is not going far enough. They are plotting to remove him as leader. Hedge funds, banks and insurers say they've made progress on getting more women into the financial industry, but that more needs to be done to tackle disparities. Bloomberg's Tiwa Adebayo has more. The culture in UK finance is, quote, bloody awful, according to Yvonne Braun, a director at the Association of British Insurers. She was giving evidence to lawmakers looking into the state of gender equality in the city after a series of high-profile sexual harassment scandals this year. Data collected by trade bodies shows some progress on representation, but highlights a lack of senior female talent. Only 20% of top hedge fund positions are filled by women, says the Alternative Investment Management Association. According to Tory MP Caroline Noakes, there is still more to be done to reform the culture. In London, Tiwa Adebayo, Bloomberg Radio. UBS has won a ruling in France's top court that may help it cut a 1.8 billion euro penalty for helping wealthy French clients evade taxes. The judges upheld the lower court's money laundering conviction against the firm but said that the overall penalty should be re-examined. UBS continues to maintain that it acted in accordance with all applicable laws and regulations at all times. Now, in just a moment, we're going to bring you more coverage of the Xi-Biden meeting. Colin Murphy, Bloomberg's China government reporter, will be joining us live. There's been uh, not only agreements in terms of um, trying to clamp down on fentanyl um, production uh, and more communication between China and the United States, but also a big dinner with Xi and a lot of big US CEOs. We'll have a lot more on that in a moment. Let's talk first, though, about the latest developments in the Middle East, where US President Joe Biden has defended... Israel's military action at Gaza's largest hospital in the face of international criticism of the raid. Bloomberg's Israel Bureau Chief has an article out this morning on the Hamas chief, Yahweh Sinwar, who founded Hamas's military wing in the late 1980s and is seen as the mastermind of the October 7th attack on Israel that triggered the war. Ethan Bronner joins us now. Good morning to you, Ethan. Who is the Hamas leader that's thought to be behind the October 7th attack and, and at the origins of this war? Well, um, hi, Stephen. You you laid out well the, uh, <clears throat> the this sort of skeleton of who he is. He was born in Khan Yunus in, in southern Gaza, and he, um, after university, helped found uh, the during the first Intifada in the late 1980s, the uprising against Israeli occupation. He helped found the military wing uh, of Hamas, and he uh, placed himself in charge of um, getting rid of collaborators with Israel. He uh, personally killed several of them. The Israelis then uh, sent him to prison for life, uh, and he spent 22 years in prison because uh, while he was in prison, Hamas, through him, in fact, um, negotiated a release of an Israeli soldier held by Hamas in Gaza in exchange for more than 1,000 prisoners, including himself in 2011. He went back to Gaza. Within a few years, uh, he was running, helping to run Hamas, and then in 17 became the head of it. Uh, and then, you know, launched uh, a very interesting relationship with Israel. Yeah, um, but he is now seen as having successfully misdirected Israel, convincing them that Hamas had turned away from, from militarism. That is uh, that is the interesting part I was referring to. Yes, he, uh, beginning in 2018, um, had a very sort of coexistence-oriented uh, public face. 
Um, he, um, he sent uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu a little note suggesting a tahadiyah, a ceasefire. He also said so in an interview, enough of war, let's live together and so on. Uh, meanwhile, he was building up the military capacity. At least that's how it's viewed by Israeli intelligence people today, that it was a willful uh, act of deception during those years, meanwhile, creating the circumstances for this very, very bloody attack uh, in early October, and is now um, hiding deeps inside of Gaza. What should we think about when we when we try to consider the character of Sinwar in where this conflict is now, the hostage negotiations, we've had these reports that there's negotiations underway to free another 50 women and children who are being held in Gaza. How should we consider Sinwar's role in this? Well, the only thing I have to go on is what Israeli uh, intelligence types who follow this stuff and have talked to me about it say, which is that uh, today... Uh, Sinwar is Hamas in Gaza. So uh, we should believe that he is um, running the negotiations for these uh, hostage exchanges, for the prison release, uh, and that he will uh, never leave. Uh, he will uh, stay there to the last bullet. Um, how much is Sinwar a product of Israel's pro uh, policies of occupation and containment? Well, that's sort of the million-dollar question about how to understand asymmetrical conflicts like this. That is to say, uh, do we think that if Israel had not occupied Gaza uh, or had treated it differently or had done a better job of negotiating for a two-state solution, that um, uh, a militant anti-Zionist movement like Hamas would not have existed or would not have gained strength? These are very difficult questions. I can't answer that. I don't think anybody knows. I mean, one argument is, of course, that if they had done all those things right, that there would have been very little need for this. The other is that these um, <clears throat> movements exist naturally, that they're, and there's nothing Israel could have done. I mean, it must be said that when Israel was engaged in two-state negotiations with the PLO, uh, that's when Hamas began its, uh, its campaign of suicide bombing. So there's an argument on both sides of that. Ethan, when we think about where the conflict is today, there's been much debate over the Israeli military raids on the uh, Al-Shifa hospital in northern Gaza. Joe Biden saying that he defended the, Israel's military operation, condemnation from the UN. How, how much of an important moment in this conflict is what we're seeing unfold at Shifa? <laughs> That's also a good question. I think that it's it's not clear. The Israelis have been arguing for at least a decade that Shifa um, is a, a military headquarters for Hamas. And there's reason to believe that at least it is a headquarters of some kind for Hamas. I mean, uh, I've been to Shifa many times, and there's no doubt that militants hang around. Uh, I don't know anything about exactly what's underneath. There is a fair amount of evidence that the Israelis and the Americans uh, believe in that says that uh, it was a headquarters. Now, they did find some guns and so on and some evidence of militants being there. Uh, it's I don't think it's a slam dunk what they found. Uh, I do think that by almost any definition, the placement of those things in a hospital is a war crime um, and that, uh, the, the, you know, that Israel has some basis for complaining about it. I think because it's so asymmetrical, this conflict, most people abroad are not too impressed with the Israeli argument and are more worried about the people who had to be moved, who were ill or seeking refuge there. So, again, like your earlier question, there's an argument on both sides. Mm. Ethan, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Bloomberg's Israel Bureau Chief uh, this morning. Uh, you can read his uh, piece on the Hamas chief on the Bloomberg terminal this morning.
The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Well, let's turn next to events in San Francisco, where the U.S. and Chinese presidents held four hours of talks and came to some important agreements on improving communications between top military, but also between the two presidents themselves. But President Biden finished his press conference by again referring to President Xi as a dictator. Joining us now to discuss China government reporter Colin Murphy. Colin, great to have you with us on the programme. What should we take away from these talks? Does it show a big improvement in relations? Mm. Um, I think it shows an improvement. I would stop short of saying a a big improvement because uh, depending on which side you're talking to, you know, there's a little bit of a spin being put on, on these talks. Um, the American side were earlier in the week talking up uh, all the cooperation on fentanyl and uh, cooperation on AI and also um, across a whole range of issues, including climate. Um, but then when we actually saw the, the readouts today, uh, especially from the Chinese side, I would say uh, more modest or more toned down. But, you know, that's not to say that uh, it's a vast improvement on on uh, where we were, like, say, six months ago. But it is incremental and I think a lot of it will be obviously uh, sort of pan out in the coming months uh, even years Mm. Um, In terms of of the use of of that word dictator, what sort of reaction did that get? I mean we did also hear that China talked about the the meeting as being candid and an exchange of views that was in depth but the use of the word dictator Right. So, I mean, I think that's at least in the in, at the press conference, that's where a lot of the attention went to immediately because it was the most sort of uh, explosive term that was used during that uh, press conference uh, from the president. But it's not the first time he's said something like this. And in the past, uh, there has been kind of somewhat muted response from China. But, you know, it depends. They probably may just sort of uh, see this as what it is, which is basically, uh, you know, Biden trying to sort of appeal to his domestic audience. Having said that, I mean, it is early days and we have the uh, foreign ministry uh, briefing coming up in about uh, under an hour. So there may be some more uh, sort of uh, feedback from the Chinese side. But, yeah, not not very uh, conducive, uh, given the fact that we had some you know, positive vibes. It was uh, probably not the best time to use that word. But uh, as I say, it's not the first time he's he's made some off-cuff remarks that have been uh, sort of offensive uh, or seen as offensive, at least to the Chinese leadership. 
when we think about the other issues that were discussed, we had the you know restoration of, of communications, that direct line between Xi Jinping and Joe Biden as well. Also some discussion of, of foreign policy issues around Taiwan, the restatement of the one China policy from the US. What did we learn in terms of the evolution of that relationship? Uh, again, I think uh, jury is a little bit out on that one. I mean, he, they did, the US side did sort of uh, restate its uh, sort of doesn't support Taiwan independence and, and, and repeated earlier lines. And I think, you know, that obviously uh, is reassuring. But from some statements from the foreign ministry here earlier in the week ahead of the, um, the, the talks, there definitely was a sort of subtext that not only do they want the US side to, uh, to reiterate that, but they want to show, they want to see the US side show that through their actions. And in that regard, I think, you know, what was delivered today was 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 short of that. So uh, it remains to be seen, I guess, whether if the US side can actually now sort of become more uh, sort of deliberate in their actions that show that they do still firmly support um, a, a one China policy rather than just sort of stating it over and over again. But I guess, you know, even the statement in itself is 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 something that, uh, you know, Beijing would, would be uh, well coming. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.